The information contained in this podcast is an expression of opinion and does not constitute investment advice. This is the Gold Money Podcast with Dominic Frisby, keeping you up to date with expert opinion on precious metals and the markets. Hello and welcome to the Gold Money Podcast, hosted in association with Frisby's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisby. Martin von Hildebrand is the director of Fundacion Gaia Amazonas, an organisation which he set up in 1990 to work with the indigenous people of the Amazon area in Colombia to help them secure their territorial rights and to protect the forest. He first visited the Amazonian Indians in the 1970s and has ever since been an activist for indigenous rights, cultural and ecological diversity working in both government and non-government organisations. In 1986, he became Head of Indigenous Affairs under the government of Virgilio Barco, and now some 246,000 square kilometres of Colombian Amazon territory have been officially handed back to the local indigenous inhabitants. He has a doctorate in ethnology from the Sorbonne in Paris and has won many awards, including the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship in 2009. Martin, thank you very much for agreeing to do this interview. You're sitting in your offices in Bogota. I'm in London. Um, a lot of my listeners are very interested in gold and in gold mining in particular. So why don't we start with the with the problem of illegal mining in the Amazon? What goes on there and what kind of damage is it doing? Not just environmental damage, but also social damage. Well, thank you for this interview. Um Yes, well, the the gold in the Amazon, there is a lot of gold and a lot of uh, coltan, that is this metal that we use for our cell phones. And uh, and um, there wasn't so many, the, the, the problem wasn't so great a few years ago, because ironically, the presence of the gorillas there kept everybody out. But now, since things have become, in a sense, better, there's less gorilla, in another sense, there's been a rush for gold. And there are a lot of people, adventurers, that go in there and it's all illegal. The government so far has not given any permissions to exploit the gold in the Colombian Amazon. But there are a lot of illegal minor people, not mi minor exploiters in mining. Uh, and they come from uh, Brazil and from Colombia. A lot come from Brazil, also the famous Garimpeiros. Now the problem there is, on the one hand, uh, there isn't enough control, and not only because there isn't an institutional capacity, but because the laws are not clear enough to be able to control. That is that if somebody asks for a permit for mining, which you might, might take years to get, you might send in a letter to the government, when the police come along and say, what are you doing here, you don't have a permit, and he says, yes, but it's, in the, it's already in the government, it's coming out any day, and they manage one way or another to play around, to beat around the bush with this. Now, it's because it is very far in the Amazon where there are no roads, no communication, even radio communication is difficult. So all, all becomes a bit more um, flexible in that sense. Okay. Is this, are we talking about artisanal miners or are we talking no. about kind of big firms? Neither. Artisanal miners for us would mean people that have a long tradition in mining. And uh, in that sense, it's not. It's very recent, and there are local people that, uh, sorry, there are, it's local mining, of course, but they've come from abroad, that is either from Brazil or from the Andes in Colombia. It is not the local people. 
So it's artisanal in the sense that it is small mining, but it uses mercury and it pollutes the water and does a lot of damage. But it is not artisanal in the sense it is not a traditional mining, small traditional okay. mining. I, I understand. And are these kind of groups of one or two people or is it groups of kind of, I don't know, 10, 15 or 20? Or no, ge no, generally it's families or two or three people but with their families. They might add up to 10 or 12 on a raft and they're going along and it's set on the big rivers and they have a kind of a, an enormous vacuum cleaner which sucks the sand out and then they look, in, they look through this sand and uh, they put it through sieves and they extract the gold. And they use mercury, of course, to attract the gold. Well, why don't you say, why don't you tell us about the damage that mercury does and, and what it does to the local people? Well, the problem with mercury, I mean, it affects the brain, but the problem of it is that it accumulates. So if, the, uh, if it goes into the plants and then the fish eat the plants and then the humans eat the mercury, it doesn't dissolve. So it accumulates and it goes straight through this chain, through the plants, through the fish, into the human beings. And it's very, it, it, it attacks the brain. I don't, I don't know in detail from a medical point of view exactly how that, how, what the effect is on the brain, you know, but I know it is very negative. Yeah, it sends you mad. Yeah. Okay. Now, I mean, presumably, are you aware of the, there's a, there's a, a, a phrase among economists called the tragedy of the commons, which is that when nobody, uh, nobody owns the fish, so nobody has an interest in looking after the fish, and as a result, nobody looks after the fish stocks. When you've got people coming from outside, uh, operating in an area that, you know, is not theirs, perhaps they don't uh, operate in a way that respects the environment and conserves the environment um, uh, in an ideal fashion. Is that, is that a dynamic that's occurring? Definitely, because the indigenous people that own the land in this area, well, they take care of the animals and of the plants, and not only take care of them, not in the same way as we do, but since they consider themselves part of the environment, that if the environment is ill or has problems, the human beings will also be ill having and also have problems. So the whole shamanistic approach is to keep the environment healthy. So they have a long tradition, according to archaeological data, they've been here in the area for about nine to 10,000 years. So they have a, a very uh, intimate knowledge of the, of the forest and the environment, and they take care of it. There used to be seven times more indigenous people in this area than there are nowadays, wherever you go in the forest, to the last corner of the forest, you dig and you'll find ceramics. They've been all over the place, and yet the forest is there, it's intact. Uh, whereas these people are not interested in the forest, they're interested in making money. Yeah. Okay, now, you've described the area as, I mean, it's it must be virtually impossible to police. There's no roads. I mean, how, and it's it, it, you're talking about an enormous area here. If there's metal in the ground, somebody's going to mine it. So how do you police this area? How do you put a stop to this irresponsible mining? Well, the first thing, we, there the, are the two levels of this. On the one hand, the government has to be clear if it wants to preserve the environment or if it wants to exploit the subsoil. Because the Indians, the indigenous people, own the land and everything above the land. But the subsoil belongs to the nation and therefore it's administered by the state and the government. So the state or the government has to decide exactly which way it's going if it's going to exploit the subsoil or, or it's going to protect the environment. That's the first thing that is not clear enough in the government so far. The, ru the rules of the game aren't clear. 
what's going to happen with the Amazon. Although it's not that easy to get in there and exploit it because the indigenous people, you have to go across their territory and they won't agree because all the soil is sacred from their, from their point of view and you should not extract gold or any other product from the subsoil. As for the policing, it's difficult because it's enormous, but on the other hand, there are only five or six airports to get in there. So if you control the airports properly, properly, you can control all the access of food, petrol or gasoline, motors, equipment. So it's not that difficult. It's lack of clarity in the north and lack of a, a political clarity, a policy, There's a lack of clear policies. Controlling the food and other supplies sounds horrendous to me. I mean, how would you do that? With, with some kind of customs or something? Or? Exactly. Well, you have, it flies in with the aeroplane, a certain amount of food, and they have to bring in the gasoline, and they have to bring in the products. Now, you know, when the indigenous need things, well, they go and they buy them on one knows, but one also knows perfectly well, it's pretty obvious. If they're bringing in a sort of certain types of motors and certain types of large amounts of food and things like that, well, one can control what they know who's coming in and where, and where the products are going, because... There aren't that many inhabitants. We're talking of a territory, if we look at the whole Indian territory, the size of the United Kingdom, and we're talking about of less than 100,000 people living in this area and it's spread out through this large area. So it's not that difficult to know wh what's going where and to keep an eye on that. Do some of the Indians actually want mining in the area? Yes. Well, you do find in the northern part where there is more mining, in fact, that are more interested the more traditional the people are, the less they want mining. The more they have become in, in, integrated into the Western society and are consuming products from our society, the more interested they are in mining. Especially the young people, the elders not that much because they're more traditional and there's still certain groups that are very traditional. But there are other groups that even have changed their traditional values and become evangelic and therefore the sacred sites don't exist anymore, etc. Now you talked about... Um the the two forms of ownership the ownership of the forest and the ownership of the of the subsoil um if if a company came in and it was it planned to you know mine responsibly in the area in other words it used modern practices it uh, didn't use mercury uh it brought employment to the indians and and the indians actually wanted it is that something you'd oppose or is that something you'd be in favor of um, I, I think that it's, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm in favor of that, and I wouldn't oppose it either. I would consult with the indigenous people, I would see how the standards were, were going to be uh, carried out, I see how the work was going to be done, and I think that it is inevitable that in certain areas there will be mining. I mean, it's difficult for us to say no mining at all when we live in a society that uses the products of mining all the time. Well, it depends what's going to be mining, what is the impact, uh, what do the indigenous people say, if it is in a place where there are sacred sites. It has, all these conditions have to be analysed before one could say yes or no. But certainly, if the indigenous people said, sorry, but this is a territory, our ancestral territory, and it's sacred, well, it would be definitely no. And if it also affected the ecosystems, definitely not. But otherwise, I think one should sit down and, and analyse it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is possible for mining to bring, to have beneficial effects if it's done properly. 
Our problem is there are two problems there. It's not so much for the local people unemployment because most of these indigenous people have income one way or another. That is, they produce their own food and there's education and health programs from the government that put money and their, their main problem is, is not money, although a bit more money wouldn't do them, perhaps they would consider wouldn't do them any harm. It's not their main problem. The problem, are, there are two problems. One, that the, this represents one third or a bit less than one third of the country, and is the government willing to say, I leave this aside and get no income from one third of the country? Or would there be an alternative that we're paid for environmental services and then we have an income? But the government as such would say, it's a large piece of land, as I said, the size of the United Kingdom, what income can we obtain from that territory? It's not only an indigenous problem, it's a national problem. And the second thing is that we use the mining, and if certain... Uh, products of mining are necessary to extract, well, it's a complicated discussion to say no to mining totally unless there are strong environmental or cultural arguments. Okay. It, it, I'm kind of detecting a certain amount of frustration on your behalf with the government. Is, is that right? Uh, yes, there's a frustration because there are no clear policies of what, how things should be done. So we've managed to open certain... certain uh, gaps there where we've managed to tell the government no mining so far until all the studies, environmental and cultural studies have been properly carried out and so for two years there will be no mining and we're working on that to try and get the studies, the information and get the indigenous people on board so they can also say what they want and what thing to do. But the policies are weak, yes, there is a certain frustration. What kind of development would you like to see go on? I mean, do you want the Indian people to, I mean, it's, and it's more about what they want rather than what you want, but I mean, mm -hmm. do you want to, the Indian people to stay as they are, or do you want them to kind of integrate gradually into the modern world? I mean, what kind of, what would you like to see happen mm -hmm. in terms of their evolution? Well, I would like to see the indigenous people keeping their identity, uh, keeping their self-confidence, and uh, keeping a lot of their own criteria and values, but taking from our um, modern society, taking what they consider necessary. I would not that keen on them integrating directly. On the one hand, because generally the opportunities we have in our society are very few. I don't think that we have the best solutions for, for, for society nor for the environment. So I don't think that at this stage, when we see problems of climate change, when we see problems of, of the crisis in Europe, when we see so many economic and social and environmental problems integrated to our society, I don't think is the best solution. But at the same time, I can't, it, it, I mean, all societies change and evolve. So they will take a lot of elements. So right now with the traditional groups we work with, they're already handling computers. Obviously, they, uh, they're... They're writing projects, they're getting certain support for certain programs they develop, particularly for their own internal research. The thing we encourage a lot is that they do research with the elders on their traditional knowledge, on the environment, on their society, on their culture, because this strains the identity, and we are rescuing 10,000 years of, uh, or to an extent, 10,000 years of knowledge. I mean, all this that has never been written down is something that should be brought out by them and written up by them. OK, now, I think uh, uh, I know I am and I think a lot of listeners to this program have a very libertarian stance in that they 
they've lost faith in governments. They don't think governments are doing a good job in the United States. They don't think government is doing a good job in Europe. And they're in favor of small government and individual responsibility. And so we perhaps put the argument forward that the best way to to for the natives to develop is not through some kind of government planning, uh, but it's it's best that they do it through through their own empowerment. And, you know, the wealth that can be derived from mining, as I say, if it's done responsibility, might responsibly, it might be one way in which that they in which they can do that. Yes, but the point is that why, to begin with the indigenous people, when they're traditional, particularly, as I said, <coughs> consider the, the earth is sacred and what's below the earth. And it's very logical what they're saying. As the planet Earth evolved, uh, things were put, that is, they considered Mother Earth, but were, things were put away because they were not good for the life as we were going to live it, as human beings were going to live it. That's why the oil and the gold and everything was put away because that was not the right thing for us to have. It would not help us in our daily lives. And so they say what was put under the earth and the evolution of the earth, if we used to call it like that, should remain there, and we should live what's on top of the earth. Now, there's, there's a certain logic in that. And uh, so this is sacred. So they're not that keen on mining, and they don't like mining as such, and they are aware of the, of the pollution that it, uh, it, it causes, plus generally... Unless it's properly done, there's alcoholism and prostitution and yes, yes, yeah, I, and I, I, over hunting and taking all the animals and everybody starts selling all the killing all the animals to sell them for the food of the people that are mining and it creates several problems. So they're not keen on that, and they know that since the government is very weak and does not have the capacity, institutional capacity to control proper mining, they say any mine that will come in will be negative. It's not like mining that you'd get in. In, in countries like Europe, it's, 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 there is no control here, or very little control. Yeah. So they are against mining. And they have alternatives. I mean, for instance, they have medicinal plants, which they could also try and, and, and put on, uh, on the market. And if there's, any, if there's any value sooner or later on, uh, on uh, keeping the forest on, uh, on, uh, without cutting it down, the standing forest, and you would have carbon that is accumulated in the, in the, in the trees, etc. There could be other ways of looking for an income for these people who don't need a large income because they already have a fair income that comes to, as I say, governmental programs such as education and health. And there's a need for a certain amount of money, but it's not, it's not like us. Woe betide anyone who, who relies on the government for its income because that way the zombie lies. I agree. But, I mean, there's certain, certain things that, like education, the government has to give education. And what we've managed there, what they've managed with our support, is that they set up their own programs, they run their own programs, they pay for their teachers, etc. The same thing in health, and so they, and they receive the income for that. And then they set up the local programs, they decide their, their territorial management, and, uh, and they produce their own food, they have their own houses, they make their canoes. So one way or another... I mean, if the world, if, if we were all to disappear, I think they would survive, you know? It's, I think they're still very independent in that sense. A potential solution that's forming in my mind as I talk to you, Martin, is the there's a big difference, uh, of course, between actual mining when you, you build a great big open pit mine or a, an underground mm. mine, whatever it is, and simple um, exploratory drilling. And to me, yes. it's, it makes sense. I mean, exploratory drilling is, is, is sticking a drill 
you know, and the drill, the width of the drill bit is, you know, it's not much bigger than the width of your hand. Yeah. And, you know, so that does very little damage. It, it kind of would make sense to have some exploratory drilling, work out where the gold actually is and then go from there. I think it's a question of standards and of technology. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, in principle, obviously, I'm not that keen on mining in the area at all. It's not possible from many points of view. But if it's going to come in, we have to choose the right places, the right technology and the right uh, standards to make sure and the right control to make sure that the negative impact is minimum. Yeah. Now, what kind of what kind of networks and strategies do you have in place to to stop um, what you consider the wrong sort of development happening in the area? Well, what we have been working on uh, and dealing both with the indigenous people and the government is to open spaces where the indigenous people can make their decisions and can decide what type of government, how they want to run the situation. For instance, to give an example, when you mentioned at the beginning, we managed that the land was turned over to the Indians, the property of the land in a collective way, it's a collective property, it's inalienable, nobody can take it away from them, it's in the constitution and their own territory, the size of the United Kingdom. But that's our point of view, that they own it. When I start talking with them and say, look, we must get these papers because you must show that you own the land. They said, we don't own the land. The land belongs to the animals, to the birds, to the rivers. We don't own the land. We belong to the land. So the cost of ownership is different. So what the way I see it is open spaces by giving them land or setting up that they can set up their education, but mainly keep away the encroachment of the Western world. Give them a space to think and to find out the best way of doing things. We obviously will give them uh, information and knowledge which they would need to make their decisions and let them decide which way they want to go and articulate with the outside world, with our world, but on their terms and give them enough time, recognize that this will take a bit of time. But it is not so much uh, us going in there and find the best solution. Is discussing with them and with them let build a solution that comes from them and obviously is articulated with our thinking and our way of life because they belong to this world they're already articulated with our world but it's opening these spaces which I think is necessary so when you talk about the mining what we've done is work with them they've done the studies of their territories they're setting up all the systems of sacred sites we've spoken with the government no mining until the indigenous people can find their territories and we try and work it out like that on their indigenous knowledge, on uh, biological knowledge also of the environment and setting up platforms, discussing with the government to come to agreements where there'll be no mining unless it, is, it, it really uh, does a minimum of damage, no? Okay. It's, and that's no exploration either? No exploration, nothing. Hands off until we have... Uh, enough knowledge to make sure that we're not doing a, a major damage. <laughs> That's going to take years. Well, well, and we've been working years, we've been working 20 years from the cultural point of view, environmental, and I think one can move depending on the area. Well, yes, one area after the other will take years. We have to start. We'll yeah. see. No, I mean, it will take, take years before any mining can happen. That's what I meant. We'll see. Anyway, yes, the government has agreed to 10 years. Which is not bad. Okay. And what, what other networks do you have in place? I mean, what other, I mean, presumably you rely on funding. What happens if, if your funding dries up? Well, that's a major problem, and it does happen, because our funding has all come from the European governments, fundamentally, and from the European Union, or the Commission. 
that's what I'm finding. But now the present situation, it has, it's not coming in anymore. And uh, we've looked to the United States, a certain amount of funding comes from the United States, but it's a different approach towards funding. No, it's not long term, it's more short term, more immediate impact. It's more along the social entrepreneur, entrepreneur approach than on the social movements approach, which the European was more long term. So we're adapting. But obviously, it's been difficult. So the, the, the EU has, has stopped funding you altogether, has it? No, it hasn't. They, they never, well, they simply had calls, and we always submitted projects to the calls. But last year, it didn't have a call, and this year, nothing has come out. So it's not directly with us. It's simply that they are not, I know, they're, they're not, they don't have these calls to fund, yeah. Okay. To fund projects, right? They're not calling projects. Oh, uh, okay. So, I mean, and what happens, I mean, when you're doing something, you're, you know, you're effectively trying to stop people doing something. I mean, that's end, I mean, that never ends, does it? I mean, wh at what point do you say Gaia has achieved its goals, now we move on? I mean, when do you stop? Well, you see, we stop with certain things. For instance, we say already, and we say, well, their land, the management of the land to a large extent, their primary education and health, well, that, that works pretty well, that's sustainable, uh, the dollars with the government, decentralization, that works, fair enough. Now suddenly, as I mentioned, in the last two or three years, there's a rush on mining. So now we look into the mining. So the certain steps that we have already achieved or they have achieved with our, with our support, and that works, and we keep a minimum of presence along that. We just might go in and give them a hand because they'll always need, like all societies and all uh, communities need a certain advice as things change in the world in education and health and economy, isn't that? Yeah, but it already works. That is operating in health, education, and the management of the territories and the local governments. Now, other things come up, like the mining, and then there might be other problems that will come up. Over time, change, there'll be new problems. So there's always need uh, outsiders. Now, the other thing that we do in Gaia, we're doing, is we're getting them other allies. So it's not only Gaia that they might have to depend on, but they can also work with, let's say, with universities and with other institutions that have an, a permanent income and are more stable, and they can count on, because they'll always need it. As we will need them, they will need us in protecting the environment and in protecting cultural diversity. Okay. And okay. <clears throat> last question for you, Martin, and, and forgive mm -hmm. me, oh, I've got two two final questions for you, but were you That's kind fine. of, how did you, I mean, did the Indians kind of choose you to act on their behalf? Did they kind of elect you or, I mean, how did that happen? Or did you, did you kind of say, look, I, did you kind of volunteer yourself? Well, I went in in 1972 for the first time and I went in more just to learn about their cultures and they were still in rubber camps and being exploited as more or less like slaves and they had absolutely no rights whatsoever. And I lived with them in the 70s and discussed this and that's where we decided to try and get the land rights recognized and to try and, and, and change the education of missionaries that were taking their children away and teaching, teaching them not to be Indians and to, uh, to, to recuperate the control over the territories. And um, I lived with them in the 70s and then the 80s I was in government and I managed to get several jobs in government which allowed me to push this agenda ahead and at the end of the 80s, in the 90s, beginning of the 90s, I went back to accompany the indigenous people to put all this into practice. So I can't say I represent them or that they chose me to represent them. I've accompanied them, I've been with them, and of course they trust me because they know me and I've always come back and always been there. And fortunately, most of the decisions have worked in the right direction and we have results. And so, they, um, so there's enormous trust. And I sit with their elders now and they call me grandfather and... Uh, 
and um, that's and, and, and that's all I play with them. Yeah. Okay. And is is drug trafficking a problem in the area? Drug trafficking is a problem, but not necessarily in the area. Uh, that is, there is, there it happens. It goes up and down rivers in, in a discreet way, but there is no fighting. There is no production. There's no they don't cultivate it. There's no laboratories. It is just a path, and there's no fighting over those rivers. So it does happen over the border, but it is not something that uh, affects the area in a negative or positive way. Okay. All right. Well, Martin, uh, thank you so much for doing this interview. Uh, to me, it seems that uh, a little bit of exploratory drilling is the solution. Find out where the gold is, and then you can, where there isn't any gold, you've got nothing to worry about. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I would, I would, I'd, I'd lobby them to allow, <laughs> allow some exploration. As long as one can control it and it doesn't get out of hand. Well, I mean, there's nothing. Exploration is simply <laughs> is simply exploration. Yeah. You're not actually right. mining anything. So, oh, well, you don't have to do it anymore. They're doing it right now. You fly at a hundred meters above in an airplane and doing it right now, and you can detect everything from the air. Yeah, now. no, but you still need to drill. You still need yeah. to drill. I mean, in certain places, uh, perhaps, the, the 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 flying over is just the preliminary stages. Mm. I mean, anyway, that's what you're up to now. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Martin Van Hill, what's your? Why don't you give out your website address so that people can find out more about your work? Okay. And what so you do. it's Gaia Amazonas in one word. Gaia Amazonas was so two A's in the middle. dot org. www.gaiaamazonas.org. Okay, and I'll put out a link on the homepage. That's gaiaamazonas.org. Martin Von Hildebrand, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dominic. Bye bye. Subscribe to the Gold Money newsletter at www.goldmoney.com to receive email updates on new articles, videos, and iTunes podcasts from our Gold Research section.